This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, it's time to apply for an AOPA scholarship. And we hear about an emergency landing that turned out okay. Also, Cessna owners be on the lookout for a new proposed airworthiness directive. More information on the Halliday crash. All right, Dave, you ready to do some Hangar Talk? Let's do some Hangar Talk, Ian. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. Yeah, the 1056 turn right heading 130, contact final 1324. Turn right, With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. And uh, David, you spoke to our guest this week, just an incredible young guy who's got quite the adventure in front of him. Yeah, uh, we're going to talk to Kyle Faso from Washington State, and he has rebuilt a Cessna 170. He's got plans to tour the country and help young people get involved in aviation. Okay, so getting right into it. Scholarships, money, more money for flying. AOPA is offering, as we have in the past couple of years, uh, a whole host of scholarships with some new ones this year. Yeah, there's a real interesting twist to this one, Ian. First of all, we should let people know that February 1st was the date that applications were open. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have our You Can Fly High School Scholarship Program that's been in place for a while. But a new twist to this, I just want to get to it right at the beginning, is for folks who are looking for advanced training, mm. such as myself, okay. for instrument training, yeah. commercial, multi-engine, that kind of thing. And uh, the AOPA Foundation is helping folks with uh, scholarships that range from 3000 to 10000 bucks. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. So now the other programs, just to remind folks, are um, scholarships for high school kids. Right. So uh, you've got maybe a, a son or daughter at home, or if they're listening, you guys can apply for scholarships. There's going to be 20 of them for $5,000 each. Well, that's a pretty good amount of money. And it is. Th that'll get you pretty darn far in a, in a normal flight training regimen. It absolutely will, yeah. And then we have ones for adults, uh, which are a range of awards. And um, so if you've, you're out of school and you think, man, it's only kids who are eligible for these things, AOPA has actually got you covered here. AOPA does. And don't forget, Boeing has told us in the next 20 years, there's going to be a huge demand for pilots and really anything with aviation, yeah. pilots, mechanics, air traffic control, even business people. Yeah, that's right. So uh, go on to the website, AOPA.org, just search scholarships. It'll come up. And uh, also, we should note that all these are made possible by the foundation. So these are people who, these are pilots out there 
who have raised their hand and said, we want to support the future of aviation and have given to the foundation, which then awards the scholarships. And that's a really cool thing to do. And it's something that you and I can do too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I want to talk about, and I, I want you to run me through this to see what this feels like, because, um, You've actually had a similar experience. There was this incredible story about a young pilot in California who had what all of us dread, I think, which is an engine failure at night. Yeah. Now, um, first, let's get to to the news story at hand. Yeah. Izzy Slotowitz, and he's out in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a commercially rated pilot, someone who's got about 2,000 hours, and he he's a real pilot. I mean, he flies professionally, when, but he was out uh, on his own with a friend of his mm-hmm. at night in a bonanza, and the short end of it was they had an engine failure over the ocean. Wow. And so this is a scary thing. We, we all think about that, and there's so much that goes through your mind. Cutting to the chase, they landed successfully, but there were a lot of decisions that they made that he made that really accounted for that yeah the first thing was uh, have you you've been to california right yeah yeah sure. and, and traffic is pretty bad there always like it is in washington dc and atlanta yeah. where i'm from yeah but um so izzy noticed when he turned towards the land mm-hmm. that in one direction on on the freeway there were no lights oh so that would indicate that there might have been a traffic accident somewhere, and yeah. that lane was open. Those lanes were open. Oh, my gosh. So that factored into his decision-making. Wow. He tried to restart the engine in the Bonanza. It did not restart, and he had had a headwind. He initially was going to head towards the airport where he came from, and so he made these decisions, and my hat is off to him at night in a Bonanza starting at 5,500 feet over the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. As he got closer to the uh, to, to the highway, which really was, a, 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 in this case, a decent option, but this is debatable. Yeah, you know, I and know. I'll, and I'll tell you I why know. in a minute. But, I yeah. know. It is. But um, so they, they, they he, he got close he, and he, when he was getting ready to land, and he saved his power uh, because they had electric landing gear. Hmm. He saved his power to put the gear down, and we got really close. He noticed that there was a bridge in front of him. Oh, so like, no. now what do you do? And don't have enough power to go over the bridge. There's yeah. no engine. Yeah. So so he flew under the under the bridge. Oh my gosh. And then uh, snatched the landing gear down. Say he has safe landing and and all is well that ends well. And then he was interviewed on TV and this is making the rounds as you know pretty viral little video. Yeah. But a couple of takeaways. So in my opinion, um, I think he did the right thing. But this is debatable. Hmm. And now I had something uh, similar happen to me with my wife and daughter in my Mooney. Oh, my god! And it wasn't at night. It was in the daytime. And, um, and my engine ceased to function. It was a catastrophic engine failure oh what, is what happened. In, in my case, I was thinking, well, should I land in the woods in some trees? Mm-hmm. I was in uh, basically in Mississippi and not near anything. Or should I try for a highway? I did see a highway. Hmm. The traffic was light. And first thing I did was aviate. You should always aviate, and navigate, and communicate. I did let air traffic control know I was having a problem. And then I you know, turned my uh, attention to flying the airplane. And I heard my instructor, Dave Hirschman, who, who writes for us, <laughs> um, was my instructor in Atlanta. And I heard him in my ear because I'd recently taken a flight with him. Dave, just fly the plane. Just fly the plane. So you know, I set up for best glide. I mean, I knew I could land the airplane in. Yeah. Uh, but the question was where. Yeah, right. And, and, and it's a different factor when you have a passenger um, like Izzy did. And in my case, my wife and daughter, you know, very young daughter. And so I did choose to land on a, on a highway. It was a divided highway. And I did the same kind of thing. Um, Mooney, the Mooney has a 
manual gear. So I waited till I got closer to the highway, and then I came in, and as as I was getting ready to touch down, I noticed there were traffic signals ahead of me and wires that were crossing the road. Oh, jeez. So I I didn't know I could do it, but I did it. I flew underneath one set of traffic, you know, wires and and snatched the gear down, manual landing gear, and it was the smoothest landing I'd made in a long time, <laughs> let's say. And then, uh, but cruising up the hill, you know, going like 90, you know, uh, you know, it was a different story. And then, uh, then all of a sudden the traffic light turned, turned red for us and cars started going oh, back and no. forth. Yeah. So, and so um, you're rolling through this intersection. Yeah. And actually I, 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 I tell people I had a successful emergency landing, Yeah, but I contacted a pickup truck upon rollout. <laughs> Which is, and we we spun around, we spun around in a 360, basically uh, right outside the intersection. Wow! And uh, to make a long story much much shorter for the podcast, the driver was not hurt, drove off. Okay. Turns out that his, his dad ended up being an A and P, showed up at the scene. You're helped, kidding? I swear. Put oh helped gosh. me push the airplane off the road and all this stuff. But the point was, your training kicks yeah. in. Yeah. Which way is the wind blowing? What are your options? Did you do the right thing? And I still, to this day, wonder if my wife and daughter weren't with me, what would I have done? Yeah. So how were they were unhurt? Nobody had a scratch on, That's awesome. on any. On so anybody. so when the so the truck hit you, what did they like? I hit? I swerved to the right, and yeah. my outermost part of my left wing hit the tailgate of the truck. And he just drove off. Kid drove off. So what happened was, we found out later that he had just turned 17, had just got his license, and his first accident was with an airplane. So I was like, what do you do, you know? And so he freaked out and left. He did. Oh, my god. exactly gosh. what happened. His uh, daddy made him come back. Yeah. So, um, so all's well oh and ends well in that case. Wow. So, so you think you did the right thing by landing on the highway? I did, but I tell you what, Ian, people debated that. And, yeah. um, and then one of the um, aviation uh, safety publications, not AOPA, I wrote a story about this kind of decision, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of um, back and forth. Well, the pilot didn't do the right thing; he should have landed in the woods, or hmm. why well, put other people at risk on the highway? Which is a very good point. Yeah, it is. And um, to be honest with you, in Atlanta, um, someone uh, back when I was in Atlanta, someone did land um, on a pretty busy highway at a pretty busy time, and that did not turn out so well. Hmm. Um, but in um, in my case, I was going 100 miles an hour. Traffic was going 55. I told my wife, Lisa, I said, hey, you know, the, all the practice drills I told you about when we got in the airplane is for real. Look out the, you know, crack the door. Look out. Is there traffic? Lisa said, yes, there is. It's an RV mobile home. I said, we're going to oh, land in front of them, uh-huh. and uh, which we were going faster than they were. Yeah. And I figured they could see us. They wouldn't yeah. be able to hear us. Yeah. Um, they did. Um, and so uh, there's more to the story, but that's, oh, <laughs> that's a good enough for a discussion. Uh, yeah. And I don't know how many of our podcast listeners have had a you know, catastrophic engine failure. Or, you know, we, we recently talked about um, sucking a valve um, uh, yeah. on you know, it's one of our uh, giveaway airplanes for the flying clubs. And so I don't know how many people have dealt with with it, but it's a whole different deal when it's you and it's happening. Wow. Well, this kid, I, I just, we, I want to say before we leave this, just really briefly, um, 23 years old, uh-huh. he's got 2,000 hours, um, give or take, right? Flies turboprops also on the side while he's going to school. Right. He's an army veteran and he was coming back from a charity, a charity event. event. Yeah, he was and doing all like, the right things. Oh my gosh, this kid! <laughs> and yeah, this is this could, could really Amazing. be someone who could stand up for uh, for aviation, and really, uh, we could all learn from from Izzy, and he has a lot to share. And that's another takeaway. Yeah. We're glad that he's okay, and then and hopefully he will teach other people about this experience, and maybe coach folks, and then really think about what you got to do in that kind of situation. Yeah. So good job, Izzy. 
All right, moving on. ADs. Uh, if you've got a 172, 182, 206, 207, or 210, or if you uh, maybe fly one of those at a flight school, listen up, because there's a new proposed AD in the works uh, for cracks. Right, and this is basically a, um, a fatigue cracking situation that might be worth taking a look at in the lower area of the forward cabin doorpost bulkhead. That's a lot of wordage, Ian, but what does that really mean? Is that like right where the door and the strut come together more or less? Yeah, so I guess the issue is there have been some cracks with that strut attach point. And so, yeah, that if you look at the at most 172s, the way it works is, or most Cessnas, I should say, um, that strut connects around where that front doorpost is. Gotcha. And so I guess that can lead to, because of the way the metal twists and everything, yeah. some fatigue. Well, there's a lot area. of stress in that area, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And to inspect it, it's not that onerous to inspect it. It's about 130 bucks is what the FAA is thinking. Yeah. And um, But now to get it fixed, um, it would be between $2,500 and $3,000. Yeah. But we're looking at an initial and a repetitive inspection. And I've had aircraft before that I've owned that have had to have the same kind of a initial and repetitive inspection for mm-hmm. various things. Yeah. So I know, and they're saying it's like every 12 months or 1,000 hours, whichever right. is first, which for, of course, most people is going to be 12 months. So during the annual. But if you want to get involved in this and you want to come in and you want to add right. your That's two what, cents. And, or an alternate way to comply or another yep. way to look at it and another, you know, yep. a bunch of good input. Yep. So go on to AOPA.org, just search Cessna Fatigue Crack, and you'll see the story with a link about how to comment to the NPR. Right. Comment online. And that does do a lot of good sometimes, as we know. That has changed things and made it a lot, little bit easier for owners. Yeah, it does. All right. So um, this is something you've probably already heard about, but we just want to chat about it for a couple of minutes. The Halliday crash. Yeah. Um, you know, we've, we talked about what happened this is the icon that Roy, Roy Halladay former in. former baseball great yeah so he um he obviously died in this accident uh, a couple months ago now but the news here is that the toxicology report came back from the autopsy and um and there's a few things in it that uh, raised some eyebrows uh essentially a, a morphine uh a derivative of or a type of ambien uh that sleeping aid mm-hmm. and then some amphetamines um it's, you know, depending on which report you read, some of these were maybe really high. Some people say, well, no, it's consistent with the prescription level. Yeah. And you can imagine somebody who's been playing baseball has got some probably Aches lingering. and pains. Yeah, yeah. Injuries. But I want to talk about what this means for Icon. Uh-huh. So, you know, there's a, a lot of people when this came out immediately were like, oh, Icon is off the hook. This guy had certain drugs in his system. You cannot do that. Done. Right. I don't know if it's that simple. I don't think it is either, Ian. I think that there are a couple of things at play here. Uh, number one, you're supposed to do the I am fit thing, safe to fly before you fly. You yeah. know, every pilot's supposed to do that. It's part of our pre-flight. Yeah. But, you, you know, that aircraft, uh, I've not flown it, but I do understand it does instill a lot of confidence. Mm-hmm. And it could make someone who's a pretty decent pilot think that they're a great pilot. And it still, in my opinion, doesn't excuse someone from those kind of heavy-duty, low-level maneuvering situations that folks documented him doing yeah so that to me is problematic yeah it is i think i don't know in this situation i feel like it's too easy to say well he had drugs in his system and uh shame on him and you know that's the end of the story i I just think there's more to it it's too i think we have to look at everything that led up to that had he been flying like that in the past does that level of drug actually impair somebody? Right. Or is it just, hey, he took his prescriptions? And not to say, obviously, that if you have those things, you're you're completely alert. But, you know, does that level of drug cause somebody to make those types of decisions? I don't know. That- well, that's a good point, Ian. It did that color the decision to do those maneuvers? Yeah. He was pretty aggressively maneuvering and not that far from people. I mean, yes, over the bay, no one is there. But don't forget, he took off from land. Yeah. In that, well, in that area. Yeah. And, um, and there were 
were people out. Yeah. So one could make a case that it was not the safest thing to do no matter what. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm sure we're going to learn a lot more about that as uh, obviously the NTSB does some more research and and weighs in. And it'll be interesting to see what the NTSB says on that, whether they say that the drugs played a factor or whether it was just poor decision making that led to it. Right. And before we leave the subject totally, if pilots are confused about what medications they can take or not take, AOPA does have a really good medications database on the site. And just uh, go to AOPA.org, do a quick search for medications database, and this will help you out uh, with, with everything from cold medicine to, to more serious medicine for you know blood thinning and that kind of thing. Yeah, good point. All right, so I want to talk about a great milestone that happened um, just this last week. The C-47, That's All Brother, um, the, which led the invasion of Normandy with the paratroopers, found in a field in Oshkosh, yeah. uh, has been brought back to life. And it flew again yeah. on the 31st of January in Oshkosh. Now, have you been up there and seen the, the aircraft? Yeah. I, I, I thought you had. Yeah. Uh, and just, you know, obviously it's uh, seen kind of where it's being renovated, and they've had to do tons of work on it. A lot. They have had to do a lot of work on it. I think it's real convenient that it is up in Oshkosh, and they did roll it out to uh, show Square, yeah. you know, last year, and they were doing some more work on it. I didn't realize that it hadn't flown, yeah, you know, and it was still yeah. under construction. They were putting um, some labels on the aircraft of, of you know, different um, items that had been fixed and repaired and who did what. Yeah. But, yeah, you should tell us a little bit about how they got the donations for this and really some of the, the behind-the-scenes stuff that you have a lot more information than I do. <laughs> it's, um, it's a, just a, a really cool story. An Air Force historian found it in a field in Oshkosh, uh, in a boneyard, basically. It had been chopped up and kind of left for dead. Yeah. Discovered that that was the airframe that led the invasion. And um, the commemorative Air Force saw an opportunity here to, uh, I think, not only bring back a C-47, which is always a great cause, but to really tell the story here, uh, which is, is what they are supposed to do, right? I mean, that's why they yeah. exist. And um, Adam Smith, who used to work at AOPA, I think saw the saw the potential here to tell a lot more than just the story of one airplane. And so through some donations, they did a Kickstarter. We promoted that very early on. Right, we did. Yep, and they got tons of donations. And now with their volunteer hours and those uh, those donations have been able to bring it back. I mean, I think they said there were 22,000 hours just to get it to this point. That's a ton of time. Yeah. That's amazing. It flew, it flew uh, just a couple of days ago as we record the podcast. And uh, I was just talking with Paul Harrop from uh, ALTW. I was talking with him last night, and he told me that um, that for the 75th anniversary of D-Day in 2019, yeah. this aircraft is supposed to cross the Atlantic Ocean and participate in, in sort of a recreation of that yeah. in, in Normandy. Yeah, so we're going to be talking lots more about that, I think. But, yeah, in the summer of 2019, just this really incredible, phenomenal event that's going to happen where they're going to take – I think a number of airplanes, number of World War II airplanes, and cross the ocean and, and then commemorate the 75th anniversary. So that's, should a, be that's a huge trip. And, um, you know, one thing that we forget about a little bit is back in the day in World War II, the, and almost the entire country was, was there to support aviation mm-hmm. and either work on aircraft or fix them. We remember, you know, Rosie the Riveter and, and a lot of folks, you know, males, females alike. And, um, and there was just this big groundswell movement to keep things going. Now, the folks that are dedicated to this kind of aircraft, these kind of aircraft today, this is really a, a lot out of their pocketbook to keep yeah, things going. It is. And, and I don't know how many planes are going to make the tour, but 
that's going to be a pretty big undertaking yeah. for support at least. It really is. Really, really cool. They're in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. It's January. They ended up flying. What about you? Have, have you been flying much or how are you staying active? <laughs> well, uh, one thing I did was I put together an aviation playlist uh, in honor of the Grammys. Oh, yeah? So, yeah. so I play some aviation music to keep me in the groove. Keep so you to pumped speak. up? Yeah. yeah. And uh, what's, I, what's your favorite? Well, right now I just found out Al Stewart, this guy who was back in the 70s and 80s, wrote, you know, had this album called The Year of the Cat. He's got two songs that are pretty neat. Hmm. And one is about the Emily. And turn. Really? Yeah, I was like, wow, is that part of the commercial, you know, check out? I need to jump on that. <laughs> All right, so you're before my time, so I'm Googling here while you're talking. Yeah, Al Stewart. Al Stewart, okay. But amazingly, um, but uh, one of my favorites is uh, Learning Fly, and it's um, by Pink Floyd. Yeah. And uh, Pink Floyd has, has- You know what? I just listened to that this morning. It's, it's great. funny you mentioned that. Yeah, two folks in Pink Floyd are pilots. Yeah. And uh, You can tell when they go through the checklist thing. It's like yeah. it's all accurate. It's so. a great song. Yeah. It's a great song. Yeah. We also, also, I must say, you know, we, we were sad to- that uh, Tom Petty passed away last mm-hmm. year, and he also has a Learning to Fly song that a lot of people are, are very excited about. Mm-hmm. So that made our top aviation song list. That's cool. Uh, this year, which you can Google that, and I would love for people to send me their favorite songs uh, via email, david.tulis at aopa.org. But that's one thing I do. I listen to yeah. aviation music, and I watch some of the videos, it's not just our ASI safety videos, which are excellent. Yeah. But I really try to learn from like what we just talked about, you know, from what Izzy did and other folks. Hmm. So I watch some videos. What cool. about you? That's cool. I'm reading a book right now, actually. That I'm I, I'm not learning anything from it, but man, it is so good. And I don't know why. I just I've had it's one of those books. You know, you buy them and then you kind of forget about it. it's on your shelf. Uh-huh. And I just rediscover it. And it's um, I, I'm embarrassed to say, first time reading it. It's Westwood the Night. Uh huh. Um, have you heard of this? It's, no. Um, tell me. Uh, it's just an incredible book. It's. Uh, it's by a woman, Beryl Markham, and this is a, you got to read this, phenomenal story. She was a, um, she grew up in Africa, East Africa, back uh-huh. in like turn of this, you know, turn of the last century, the 1900s. Uh, her dad saw, you know, the frontier as this possibility, and so she raised horses and went hunting with natives and all kinds of amazing stuff. But she, uh, as part of it, she she learned to fly. And yeah. so she's this, you know, woman pilot in East Africa in the like the 20s and 30s. Oh, how cool. And uh, and so it's all about her stories of like uh, scouting elephants by the air and her trips to London and oh it's just amazing. that sounds fascinating amazing and when, if you put yourself in folks' shoes from way back then I mean it's really tough to be an aviator especially is very tough it was really hard to do oh, but yeah. that, I, I would have loved to have lived back there though oh my gosh she talks about like people like literally you know a runway she's like oh it had a good runway and it's because they've hacked like out of the bush the oh, night before man. and. Just amazing, amazing stuff. Uh, so. That does sound good. So books are a good way to uh, keep in touch with our aviation bug, if yeah. you, you want to say. Keep the passion going, yeah. right, over the over the winter. Yeah, I like that. Now, you talked to the guy, this Kyle, just incredible, that the, he has taken it to the next level. Yeah. And it's an amazing story. Yeah, Kyle Faso, and he's a, a younger guy, and uh, this is exciting to know about, Ian, because we want to instill some more excitement in folks who are learning about aviation, science, technology, engineering, and math, that kind of thing. Kyle and um, and his now girlfriend, Samantha, are redoing his beautiful Cessna 170 for basically the second time. And their plan is to go around the country and do some videos of the coolest thing in each state and provide a video of that and help young people understand that aviation can help get you there.
Uh, Hangar Talk is proud to have with us today Kyle Faso from Washington State, who plans to fly to all 50 states in a restored SESTA 170 that he's going to tell us about. And he is going to also let us know about his partner, Samantha Hagen, who's been helping Kyle for the past several years get this project off the ground, literally and figuratively. Kyle, give us a little bit of the update on your background, how you got interested in aviation. Well, thanks, David. And this all started when I was in high school on a pretty gloomy day. On our website is actually a video about it. But just to, to recap, I was not doing a lot in high school and kind of didn't have a lot of direction. And my dad needed help with drywall at a hangar here on Anacortes Airport, where I actually happen to be right now. And I came out to help him. And next door, there was a flight school. After we were all done drywalling, I went next door and was pretty addicted just by sitting in the airplane and, and then decided, you know, hey, I want to use some fishing money I'd saved up that didn't know to spend on what. Not a lot, but I had a little money and I put it all down on block time and started flying. And after I was flying for a while, I wanted some more stuff to do after school. So I started helping the mechanic who became a mentor. And he was also the IA for the duration of my project. But I helped him after school every day for two or three hours and eventually started trading that labor for flight time. And after that, he said, you ought to buy a project that you have, you know, an airplane someday. And that's when I started seeking out Cessna 170. The rest of the story, you, I think you know. Now, the 170 uh, that you found had a little bit of a history also. Go ahead and refresh our podcast listeners with that history. So that Cessna 170B that I bought had been crashed in Ketchikan in 1972 and was shipped over to on a barge here to Kenmore Air Harbor. And then it was it was just sitting there, and, and the service manager, Jerry Rader, ended up buying it. And then the funny thing is he had it hanging up in a chicken coop or something, and then Mac... When he was young, my IA actually saw it and me- did measurements to convert another wheel plane to a seaplane by measuring mine. And then it was just kind of ironic that 40 years later, I happened to buy it. So that plane, yeah, it crashed and sank in, in saltwater in Ketchikan, Alaska. So it was pretty totaled out. What wasn't bent or damaged was corroded. The entire fuel system was gone. The engine wasn't in great shape, but I didn't use it anyway. I put the bigger engine. And now you had a lot of help. You had a lot of mentorship. Now you, you know, your main mentor, was that, was that Mac? That was Mac. Yeah. And he oversaw a lot of what you were doing. And really, if I'm not mistaken, um, Kyle, something like this, it really got you going and thinking a little bit more about what you could do with aviation uh, professionally. And you told me the first time we talked, I hate to put you on the spot, but that you, you had a little bit of a challenge in regular school, but you were able to just sail through, you know, A&P school. Tell our listeners a little bit about what regular school was like and how aviation kind of turned things around for you. Well, in regular school, I really wasn't motivated in, in math and reading and stuff. Even though I'm actually fairly good at it, I was just very bored. I don't know if I was challenged enough or if I just have a different learning style, but essentially I was put into special ed there's no in between. It's like if you're not like everybody else, you're just special. So that was kind of that kind of dashed my confidence a little bit because they kind of put you there like you deserve to be there. But after I was I found aviation, I started really liking that class because all I would do was make parts list to order for my airplane and read ground school books and study up and there was about two other kids in the class that were also like placed wrong in wrongly into there and I I had a giant folder of a side profile of 170 I brought and I made him sketch a paint job for me and none of those elements ever contributed to the real paint job. One guy put a Lakers paint job all over it. I, I wasn't I wasn't really into that. But <laughs> yeah. Nothing against the Lakers, just purple and gold on the 170 it didn't work. I gotcha. But then, you know, Metal Shop and this you know, during the same time, Metal Shop was easy, but 
I mean, we basically had the same lessons in algebra and geometry that I had to, you know, use in metal shop and I was getting D's in math and my metal shop, I was actually one of the, I was one of the foremen in the metal shop. I was helping people do things that were just second nature when I had to measure and cut metal and, or, you know, do things that had to do with welding and amperage and everything like that. That was easy. And that did contribute to A&P school. But the, the thing that really made A&P school easier for me was the fact that I've been working on airplanes for five years already. You had a good background and the Mac was helping you out looking over your shoulder. And really, um, it seems to me that you just took a shine to it. I did. But the thing is, I was the only student in that A&P school that was actually already qualified to get my A&P. So as soon as I, we were clocking in and out and I would, I would drive an hour to get there and back two hours by the time traffic got in. So I was driving almost three hours a day and I would sit there for eight hours. And if you were a minute late, you were an hour late and you can only miss like 12 hours per quarter or else you had to repeat that quarter in two years. Yeah. And, uh, there was a lot of students in there that were coming over from overseas that didn't speak English and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that they were, they were holding the entire class back. We had to teach them the language and then teach them how to, you know, apply that knowledge to, what we were working on. And after the first quarter, which I passed, I went down to the Renton Fisdo and I showed him my, all my experience and my five years of log books. And I don't know how many thousand hours I had already working on planes. And they just stamped my paperwork right there and said, you know what, you, you're done with college. Just go, go take the tests. That's great. That's great. Yes. That was, that was a quarter and the school was kind of frustrated that I didn't sign back up, but I was like, well, here's my a and I don't really have a reason to go back to school. You had passed all that. That's a dramatic story, and for our podcast listeners, and also to remind you, Kyle, AOPA is all about science, technology, engineering, and math, because we want the next generation of aviators to take flight, and that is exactly why we're talking to you and Sam today. I do want to let our podcast listeners know that you told me earlier that you were doing stuff like, like detailing cars and cleaning gutters to get the money together to hang out at the airport, you know, and get your aviation background, you know, that's something that a lot of other folks could do on a local level, don't you think? Yeah, I do. I would just, I would do just about anything out here that I ever had to do. You know, one of the things I really had to do was earn my A&P so I could get up to something above, you know, $10 an hour. I think they started me out at 15, 16 when I got my A&P. Yeah. But, you know, I had to get out of the, you know, I was making a couple hundred bucks a month, you know, washing airplanes and, and detailing planes and cars. And I was just cleaning gutters and, and stacking firewood to pay for the hangar rent. I was trading the landlord for that. And that was one of the problems and why I had to get my A&P immediately or couldn't go through the two years of tech school is because I couldn't afford. Well, I, the whole time I was building the plane, I couldn't afford it. Let's just establish that. Like there was no way to afford it, but. I couldn't afford the gas money to get me to A&P school and the time to not be working towards stuff to go to school. So that's why, you know, when it came down to it, I absolutely had to find a way to, to get that passed. And then I think that's the whole kind of thing about it is this is, you know, something I did earning. I would go up to Alaska every year and earn fishing money, which was earning pretty good money in a short amount of time. But then the rest of the year I would spend, you know, I put that money into the airplane. That was sure. one of the bigger investments. I'd come home with like five or six grand in the middle of years and then over 10 the last two years uh, for a summer. And then the rest of the year, I'd be working for 10 or 12, 15 right. bucks an hour. Now we're, and we're talking about, we're talking about fishing. We should let folks know that we're not talking about throwing a line in the water and waiting for, for things to bite. This is like real time uh, fishing out in the open seas is probably pretty doggone dangerous. I'm guessing. Yeah. We had uh, a couple casualties up there in the time I, I spent up there, unfortunately. 
it's definitely not easy, but I think that the point I'm trying to make is when people are going after something with, if it's aviation, I mean, I'm biased to that, but whatever it is, I think that there needs to be a mindset that exactly, you know, absolutely anything that you possibly have to do, whatever it takes. Uh, if you have your eyes set on a goal, then you have to carry through and, and find it. And it's definitely, most of it's definitely not going to be fun and it doesn't get any easier the entire time, but eventually, you know, if you keep your eyes on the prize, you'll eventually get there. Yeah. Now, that makes sense. That it totally makes sense. Now, look, I want to let folks know um, that um, while they're listening to the podcast, that they could jump onto a website that you've created called adventureabove.com, follow, follow along with you, um, and or help out in some way uh, during your uh, upcoming adventure. You know, we, we want to make sure that we mention adventureabove.com for folks. You're talking about getting your goal no matter what it takes, Y'all have a pretty lofty goal for this trip. Um, this really does have everything to do with getting the next generation of pilots on board. Tell us a little bit about what you really want to do. Well, one of the things that I, you know, because I was, I was 14 when I started flying, and one of the things I thought was the coolest, the best thing about the aviation community is as soon as, you know, you walk in, if you're a respectable person who just wants to learn and isn't full of themselves, <laughs> I've been accused of a time or two, just that's just growing up. Mm-hmm. That's just growing up. <laughs> anyway, everybody who comes in, if you really have a passion for it, you'll be welcomed in with open arms. But like Sam, when she was a kid, she was like, oh, I want to I want to fly and I want to be an aerial photographer. And then her, you know, her family was kind of. I, I was about seven or eight at the time. And I come my parents are very practical people. So doctors, lawyers, you know, be a nurse, something like that. Do the so, career path that gets you the most money at the end of the your degree kind of thing okay. yeah so so when i i saw this aerial photograph at a, a family friend's house i was like wow it was above our property i was like how is that taken they're like by airplane and instantly i was like well i want to be a pilot i thought about it for like a week or two and i told my dad and my dad's like well how are you going to get a job being a pilot and you know i was like seven so i was like um i don't know so then it kind of just squashed it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But meeting Kyle and following him along and helping him with his passion, it really, it's brought it back for me myself. So. That's awesome. What I was going to get to saying is I think one of the problems and something that is addressed in a slightly, slightly, you know, maybe, maybe halfway wrong is when there's kids that want to fly, they're just... And I don't think it's any organization that can help this by by putting things out um, and opportunities to fly. I think it's a lot of just people deflating that spark that, I mean, I had as a kid and Mm -hmm. I was a very stubborn child. So anything that I wanted, I found a way to get. So follow your dreams is what you're saying. You know, don't let people squash them. Definitely don't let people squash them. But I think that the I Mm -hmm. think that coining the term follow your dreams is such a a, such an overused and diluted saying that you have to really take it seriously. Uh And if what I think we can do with Adventure Above is take, you know, our airplane with the backstory we had, because I mean, I bought it when I was 15 and worked you know, worked my butt off for it. Yeah. And say, okay, we're going to take this on a national level. Uh, two young people are going to take their airplane that they built themselves on a national level and fly to all 50 states, which means we're going to be local to everyone. And then if they're going to, you know, if these kids are going to be tuned into their iPad anyway, right, uh, sitting on their cell phones, that's something that they can watch and they can see, wow, you know, this is, 
you know, if, for instance, me, I wasn't anybody making more money than they possibly could in a year. Um, it's just that I devoted that time and money instead of $6 lattes and hanging out with friends at the coffee shop to buying nuts and bolts and airplane parts and, you know, make fa fabricating parts and screwing them up, but just keep kept on trying and, and making it happen. So when we visit every state, if, at least if that kid is looking at their iPad going, oh, this guy's flying, but he's over in Washington and I'm in Florida, this kid can go, oh, well, now they're in Florida and now I can see, you know, if I want to go flying, this is how I could get started because we have a lot of interest from FBOs and stuff that are like, if you just come and, you know, fuel up, fuel up at our FBO, we've been, you know, they're very generous. They're like, we'll give you gas at cost or some of them are even going to give us free gas just to uh, mention their FBO in our videos because they see that like nationally it's going to impact people at a local level if that sort of, if that sort of makes sense. So we just want to get maybe after the trip, I'll actually take people flying and do, do more intro flights. I've already done quite a few, but yeah, during this, at least I just want to spark the passion and the practicality that flying is something that can be achieved. You just really, really do have to work for it. And yeah. you have to, you have to be, you know, have to be excited about it. You cannot, you can't back off after 10 hours of flying because there's book work to do. You really have to follow through with everything you start. If you want to, if you want to be in aviation and if you do follow through, you know, people respect you immensely for that. And you're, you just become part of this family that aviation is. That's true. And you were um, trying to get the, um, the younger and Kyle, you're 22, right? Yeah. And um, you, you're trying to get the younger generation involved in aviation by, um, again, I just want to recap a little bit. You're going to have cameras rigged up onto, on your airplane. Sam's going to run uh, the controls of that a little bit. And you guys are going to do some live streaming while you're flying. You're going to do, you know, take some Q's and A's uh, from folks that, that are able to tap into Adventure Above and, um, and, and kind of communicate with you. But your whole goal, and correct me if I'm wrong, your whole goal is to kind of make – Make it look like aviation is a, a good way to get around the country and use aviation as a tool, as something that's fun, as something that folks can make their own adventures with. Is that, am I on the right path for this? Yeah, you're, exact, you're exactly on the right path. And we want to, you know, with our live streams and stuff, those live streams will be, will be public. And then through adventureabove.com, which right now is redirected to Patreon, it is a, it's a fundraiser. So if people, basically, we're going to reward the people who are contributing and helping us make this possible. It's like a harmless amount for people or parents or a lot of a lot of aviators right now are pitching into it. And it's not like a GoFundMe. It's more like a Netflix where, if you want to see our content early and more exclusively and without ads and stuff, you get to give us a dollar a month or five bucks a month or something like that. And then when we're doing live streaming, the people who are actively contributing and you are actually part of this journey making it possible are the ones who will get priority on those live q and a's those are the people who are going to see our videos um you know our weekly in review videos about where we were this week and where we're going to be what date and time next week and can come out and meet us and, and talk and yeah communicate and have make it a big community is what we're looking at really yeah exactly and that's you know that's our funding goals are on track to get us the growth patterns on track. I'm not saying we're quite there yet, but that's how we're funding this. And still all the, all the content we do is going to be available. It's just going to be for everybody who's not pitching in. It's just going to be a week, a week after the fact, which really is standard anyway, but we're just making sure that those people who are pitching in are current. I you know, gotcha. Much more 
much more current with the trip and, and the, what the goings on and everything. I got you. Now, you and I spoke a little bit on the phone, and I just threw a place out uh, just because I have kind of been there before. But say, for instance, folks want to want to know a little bit more about about Wyoming, and there's a really cool place called Devil's Tower out there. You know, you guys are going to uh, plan an adventure to Wyoming, for instance, just throwing something out there, and, and show how aviation could help us get near there or get over to that area, but you're going to do a little bit of videography um, in the air. You're hoping to do a little bit on the ground, but you're, I, I think the overall goal is to let high school kids and even maybe middle school kids, you know, learn about different cool things in these different states. And so you told me eventually you want to do some presentations in front of groups and, and drum up some more interest and make this more of a, of a, you make the flying community, you know, open up to just a lot more people. Yeah, exactly. And and just, I mean, for instance, like Devil's Tower, let's say if you live, if you live in Montana and you're like, oh, why in Montana? And you're like, why should I go flying? It's like, oh, well, you can go to Devil's Tower and be there in an hour and a half. Uh, and, and if you want to drive, you're going to be there in six hours. There's places I live here where if I want to go there, it's a six hour drive with a ferry. Uh, if I want to fly there, it's about a 12 minute flight and I'm, you know, touchdown in 12 minutes. So I don't even have a dream of getting on the ferry in 12 minutes. So, you know, it's really something that opens your world up, makes it a lot smaller. Yeah. And I think that high school and middle school kids can benefit from it. And the other thing about being young uh, in high school and middle school is people, when I was in school, think it's easier after school. And it's definitely, definitely not. If you're going to do, if kids are going to, you know, decide to pursue a dream, then they really got to commit to that when they're in high school or I don't want to. I don't want to dash the people's hopes who are older than high school. But once you're out on your own, uh, like we are, if I would, I couldn't have possibly started this now. Right. It's, you needed to help earlier on, and and uh, the sooner the better. Really, is what it is. Definitely, the sooner the better. When you're living with your parents and getting paid cash for mowing lawns and stuff, you're right. You know, that's a lot better than than working at 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 a starter job. For yeah. Eight bucks an hour or ten. Uh, and then going and paying rent on an apartment and everything like that. It's, it's, it's harder really, to do. It's really harder to get into aviation when you have a lot more expenses. And that, that is something you just said right now is very mature for someone of your age to really think about the future and how can we afford these kind of things and do it really. Y'all are doing it the right way. You're doing it while you're young, trying to visit uh, all 50 states. And I know this is a really huge thing to, to take upon oneself. But also, folks who are listening, um, you know, Kyle and Sam, y'all have rebuilt this Cessna 170, and it's gorgeous. Um, I know you had a lot of help. You had a lot of mentorship. You had folks that are helping out and pitching it with parts and things like that. But um, tell us real quickly about why you uh, were taking apart the interior again as you are getting closer to embarking on your journey, which which will commence sometime in March. So tell us a little bit why, about why I saw that video of Sam helping you uh, unscrew panels inside of this aircraft. Well, one of the things about, you know, social media has helped me immensely posting updates and everything. And if you don't put yourself out there, nobody's going to find you is kind of the thing. But so I, I never try to hide anything I'm doing. I, I try to be pretty regular with, with what exactly is happening and why. And one of the, the main reason we're taking things apart well, the first, first of all, if you're going to build an airplane just for people who, who are thinking about it, it's a very, very incredibly slippery slope where you do you take one screw out and pretty soon the wings are off and it's getting painted. And that just happened to a friend of mine who wanted to just 
clean up the firewall a little bit and they, and they pulled the engine in pretty soon the whole airplane's t- torn apart but right. we knew better. <laughs> we we knew better right now so i set out i said okay this airplane has got 135 hours on it now after we've flown to oshkosh and we have actually won a lindy there after we flew to las vegas and congratulations on that win i did not know that that is fantastic oh yeah we won uh we won the bronze lindy for champion of customized classic perfect what year model is the 170 it's a 54, and I. it's funny because I didn't go there, and I didn't go there to win. I went there, and people begged me to enter the contest, and I was like, okay, fine. And then I come home with a Lindy. That's awesome. It was cool. I didn't even know what, I didn't yeah. even know what Lindy was. The, the community <laughs> was looking out for him at that point. Well, they should, and they, as they get to know your story, I mean, and, and let's let our listeners know that you do plan to be at uh, Sun and Fun in uh you know in the beginning of april you do plan to be at air venture in oshkosh in july but take us through taking apart the y'all are doing stuff the interior you have a plan you're gonna you said you don't want to do too much airplane camping but you were trying to make it conducive so that you could if you had to overnight in the aircraft uh well we're bringing we're bringing a backpacking tent but mainly what i want to get back to with the we got we got a spider tracker it's called and that's going to help people follow us on our trip uh-huh. basically when we're doing the live streams if we ever lose coverage it's going to re- revert back we have an agreement with spider tracks it's going to revert back to a live map okay of where exactly we're at so people can be like oh they're going through a valley whatever and i just took the seat out i just took the the pilot seat out to uh work under the panel and and wire in the spider tracker and okay. while I had the pilot seat out, I went, well, I'll take the other seat out because that's easier. And then I went, you know, this carpet's getting trashed because I went down to Nevada. And now the carpet was black, but it's completely brown. I had so much fun playing in the desert at Kevin Quinn's High Sierra Fly-In. Uh, oh, yeah, we covered that. That's cool stuff. Yeah, it was, that was amazing. But um, A lot of sand. A lot of sand. I had to vacuum it and clean it. And then I was like, you know, I'm just going to seal this, seal the cracks in the structure with the floor not the not the crack like bad cracks just spaces yeah uh, where dirt falls in the floor i'm gonna seal that real quick and then I well now it doesn't look good i'm gonna paint that floor <laughs> and then uh oh, i'm gonna paint the front floor i better paint the back floor you see where this is going right and now. then i gotta so i gotta pull the back panels out and now it's like well the back panels are out so we might as well do 100 hour because it's a brand new airplane with 100 some hours on it and uh the door doesn't fit quite right, so I'm going to fix that door. So now it's been like two months, and I'm going to have it wrapped up here in another week and a half or so. But just about everything I wanted to do for the next two years, I'm just getting done now so that when I'm flying somewhere, I'm not going to be like, oh, you know, this door is really starting to bother me or it's, or I'm thinking it's a hazard, so I don't want to have to fix that in the middle of nowhere. Uh, everything I've learned and everything I've experienced with the airplane so far, that all airplanes have their own characteristics. Everything I can adjust and fix is uh, is happening now while we're safely on the ground and while the winter wind is still blowing around in Washington. I can't I can't do much flying anyway, so now that, is the time. That makes sense. And as a, I'm a former uh, aircraft owner slash restorer with my mechanic of a 1946 Air Coupe okay. that I flew from that I flew from Atlanta to Air Venture back in the day, which I won a Best Air Coupe Award oh, uh, when I did that. And so I totally can relate to you. You take I want to make the panel look like it was back from yesterday, but I wanted it to have modern conveniences. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, if I'm going to put a, I want it to have glove boxes like it used to have. Then I got to take this out. Then we got to, you know, move the panel here. We got to take this radio, put it there. I totally can relate. A lot of our listeners who um, are into uh, restoring vintage aircraft can probably relate to this too. And, uh, yeah, one thing leads to another, but it sounds like you're on the right road now. And 
It looks like you could see the light at the end of the tunnel, huh? Yeah, I'm just about I'm just about done. That's why we're actually we're, we're just at the hangar and stepped out for this you know important call here. Is we're just wrapping things up. We're getting to the point now. I ran out of paint, <laughs> so the, we're we're gonna paint the rest of the floor here pretty soon. Uh, we painted the front half. Now we gotta paint the back half. And after that's done, we'll put all the interior back together, stick the cowling back on, and and go flying. I gotta fly before the fifteenth anyway to take my uh, to get my ADSB rebate. There you go. I don't want to lose that, so that's my goal is the fifteenth of this month. But I think I'll have her covered within that with before that. For that sure. is awesome. That's awesome, Kyle and Samantha. So we're going to wrap up real quick because I know you guys are um, you got a lot to pack in the next you know very short month and a couple of weeks into uh, into March before you'll be headed out to Sun and Fun in uh, Florida. You're thinking of uh, of doing this cross country uh, zigzag flight across the U.S. by cranking it up from sun and fun is that correct mm -hmm. yeah so we're thinking we're thinking we're going to leave you know in early very late march around the 25th maybe a little later and go down to florida and get everything all set up and ready and then you know do sun and fun enjoy sun and fun maybe explore florida first and then you know we have we have a lot of people that want to meet us and everything and sun and fun i actually put out a poll I said, well, should we start in Washington or start in Florida? And everybody decided, you know, 80% of people said just start in Florida. So we're going to hop over to Florida in the warmer weather. And then before it gets too hot, we're going to knock out the East Coast while we have the time to do it. And then end up back, you know, in Wisconsin in July and continue west until we get to Nevada in October. And now it's going to be winter time. So we're going to spend the winter going along the southern states and end up back, uh, you know, Georgia in the spring and, and then coming back west uh, in the middle yeah, so you said you were cha you were chasing the weather, or the weather was going to chase you. Uh, so you're looking to go. You're looking to favor for favorable conditions. Uh, you're because you're a VFR pilot at this point. You're looking for favorable conditions that allow you to get as much travel in at the appropriate times of the year. Right, and it's it's not only about the flying. Like I said, it's you know it's about if we land somewhere, I want to show people where can flying actually take you. It's right. Like, you know, we're we're going to fly here here's the flight for three hours and then we turn off the camera. No, it's like if we fly in Wisconsin, let's fly, you know, let's live stream the flight to devil's tower. Let's bring that flight up to devil's tower. Then we'll film actually exploring devil's tower and where, you know, flying took us. And then we'll, the video that we end up posting, we'll end up having, you know, before the flight a little bit, then we'll, then we'll time-lapse the flight, make it a little faster for viewers who, who really want to see where aviation can take them, not just the flight. And then they can watch the live stream cache again, if they want to watch it in real time. But for, for storytelling purposes, we'll time-lapse the flight, show all the scenery flying by at about a thousand miles an hour and show where aviation can really take them. So, and it sounds really cool also for Sam, because this kind of, you know, bringing, bringing back the conversation to the beginning, this is something that you were really excited about you know, with uh, photography and videography. And this really gives you a chance to toggle the controls of the different cameras and, and put together, you know, a lot of the different angles. Um, I know you guys both are going to have some editing help, but it sounds like this is a real good way to use some of your um, both of y'all's strengths in in different matters. Yeah, it definitely is. And then um, I don't know if you've heard of Flightflix, but they've Flightflix has provided some camera mounts that we're going to be using, and we're setting up the ghost cameras on those mounts so we can position the cameras wherever we want, and uh, they'll always be rock steady and everything for these shots. So we're guaranteed to get some really good flying and aerial footage that's not shaking around. And then she'll she'll be running that from the right seat and just you know selecting what all cameras are recording always, and then she'll be selecting which camera feed is brought up and sent out. Sounds cool. You guys have a very ambitious plan. 
And I'm going to remind people again that, that they can go to adventureabove.com. It'll reroute folks right now to the place where they could help you out for contributions. You're looking to have a, like a vlog, a video log of folks. We're, we're looking to do some high-tech stuff. Uh, you mentioned uh, live streams. We talked about some Q's and A question and answer periods, and also folks to communicate with you via um, social media. And I just want to say we really appreciate y'all taking the time to talk to us about it, and also to spur the next generation of young people to, to kind of follow in your footsteps, Kyle and Sam. I know y'all are busy, so any closing comments you guys have? Yeah, for sure. I just want to, you know, for the young people, we're definitely – it's hard to plan speeches during the trip because I got hundreds of requests to go speak at places. And so we just had to say, okay, we're not going to, unless it's a very short notice speech, we're just not going to do it because it's hard to plan, you know, three weeks in advance for four states over uh, that we can exactly be there on that date and time. Unless we want to be there two or three days early and guarantee that we'll make this speech. Uh, so that's why we're thinking we're going to go back after the, after the trip is done, we'll go back and fly commercial or fly a different airplane you know, and speak at these places all over the country that, that want to hear the story. And also, I think it'll be better once those kids have seen, you know, the 50-episode series and and the vlogs, like like you said, that are going to be, for people who are contributing and filling our tank with gas, they'll be current. And then for everybody else, they'll be a week later. For those that are putting gas in the tank, you know, they'll be able to have priority on the live Q&A sessions from the air, as well as they'll get uh, private live streams as well that's only going to be in our our actual Patreon community. Uh, and then all the patrons are going to be in our photo album that we're going to release at the end of the journey. We're releasing a 50 state photo album. That's going to be, the prints are huge. They're like, you open the book up and it's like three feet of a photo that goes over the two pages. So they'll, they'll all be mentioned in the back of that and everything. That's neat. It's going to be a real cool, like, you know, community involved event. It's not, you know, it's not you just watching us fly a plane to all 50 States. It's you getting to come into the cockpit fly it yourself, uh, you know, from our point of view, uh, make your voice heard about it. And then ultimately, you know, be, be registered as one of the people to help made this happen for, for all eternity. That sounds so cool. Kyle and Sam, thank you very much for joining us on Hangar Talk. Uh, we wish you guys all the best. I hope I see you in person at, uh, at Son of Fun in April. And until then, we'll be in touch. And I just want to say thanks again. Thank you for thank having you. us, David. So all 50 states, I hope he can make it. It's I got to do that someday. I think that's so cool. Yeah, we're really appreciative of Kyle to hit us up on Skype because they're really busy. And um, and we want to hook up with him at Sun and Fun and find out what's happening and, and be right there for the kickoff. Yeah. All right, I think that's all the time we have for this week. Um, I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tulis. You can find us at aopa.org slash hangertalk on the Sporties Takeoff app and on iTunes. All right, we'll see you next time. See you, Ian. Hangar Talk from AOPA, your freedom to fly.